It's Friday afternoon. We've locked the door because we need silence while we think and pray for the safety of Florida kangaroo. And also because it's time for another edition of our weekly podcast, Tales from the Brown Desk. I'm Jake Rigney of Rigney Law, LLC. With me as usual is my law partner, wife, and the waterer of my desk plants, Cassie Rigney. Our host is Terry Ulm. Friendly reminder, Tales from the Brown Desk is a free-flowing conversation involving two foul-mouthed attorneys. It may include graphic descriptions of sexual activity, violence, and jokes about Canadians. It may not be suitable for children, our president, your secretary, the treasurer of your high school class, or the sergeant-at-arms, one of the more likable sidekicks from the He-Man cartoons. These jokes suck. I don't need, I don't, whatever, I don't know. I need writers. Listener discretion is advised. Here's Terry. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jake. How are you today? I'm basking in the glow of that wonderful intro I just wrote. It was really, really terrible. I feel awesome about myself now. I always look forward to them, your rhetoric and just how you just, I don't know, they're funny. Hi, Cassie. How are you today? Hi, Terry. I'm well, thank you. Good. So today we're going to continue our series, A Walk Through the Criminal Justice System in Indiana. Part 7. Part 7 of 72. Uh, So last week we talked about the pretrial conference in criminal cases. And this week we're going to continue our walk down the swamp, through the swamp, and take the next step. And that is negotiating and plea deals. So my first question is, is I've run across different terms for plea deal, like plea agreement, plea Uh deal, plea bargain. Yep. Do all of these terms mean the same thing? Uh, probably. Um, it depends on the context in which people use it. But typically, a plea agreement, a plea bargain, and a plea deal are all the same thing. There are other types of agreements that you can reach with the prosecutor's office that don't involve pleas. Um, so uh, that is... So not all, I guess it's a Venn diagram. Draw it for you, you us. Can, you can resolve your case through several different types of agreements. One of those agreements is called a plea agreement. So a plea deal in Indiana, it's the proper terminology is a plea agreement. I don't know if there's one like right term. Um, you're describing the document. Um, so as long as the title appropriately describes the document and maybe different courts have a different term, but... I mean, there, there, there's not really one right right answer. Yeah, this kills. This is one of the things I think that drives people crazy when they talk about lawyers, right? Because so many terms in the English language that we use have a very specific meaning and have a meaning that isn't always apparent from just the words, right? There's all sorts of things. They're called terms of art. And the terms of art... Um, mean very specific things. They have long, expansive meanings that only lawyers understand and that regular people don't understand. And then we get to one like plea agreement. We're just like, I don't, I guess, I don't, yeah, they all mean the same thing. There's <laughs> there's not really a one word for it. You just, it just is. It's the thing where you plead guilty and you get something for it. <laughs> and it's not a term of art at all. Plea agreement isn't a term of art. It doesn't have a specific meaning or hold any sort of, higher hidden meaning to a lawyer. It just means that a person is admitting they committed some crime and they're receiving some kind of benefit in, in return for that admission and and that there won't be a trial. 
can you define a plea deal for our listeners? Shit, I just did. You did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what you talk about, you know, you plead guilty, you plead not guilty. So you're it, what it is when you're talking about a plea deal, it's an agreement between the parties regarding how you're going to plead on the case. Um, so I guess that's just an alternative. I mean, whatever agreement, well, you know, usually you admit something and dismiss something. Sometimes they don't. I mean, there's any which way the parties can make an agreement as long as it's within the confines of, of the law, which is pretty broad. Right. Most most counties enter a plea of not guilty for you or at least ask you whether you plead guilty or not guilty. And if you say not guilty, then eventually you're going to resolve that case with a trial unless one of two things happens. Either you change your mind and enter a later plea of guilty to a crime or the state dismisses the entire case, um, which happens sometimes. Um, it, we've seen it go all three different ways in our careers many times, um, and it just sort of depends on the facts of your case. But that's that's how it starts. They would enter a plea of not guilty for you, and then your lawyer can negotiate a plea agreement, potentially where you know what your sentence is going to be in return for your admission that you committed the crime. So if there are maximum and minimum sentences for crimes, why are plea deals even offered? Well, um, there's a big difference between six months and two and a half years. And I mean, ultimately, you can enter a plea agreement which limits your exposure sometime with somewhere within the minimum and maximum range. If you also want to avoid trial through plea, you can just plead open to the court without an agreement. In that case, you'd plead to all counts and then the maximum minimum range. Um, the benefit of a plea agreement is that you would cap, you know, oftentimes limit what your exposure is. Um, I mean, what you're charged with a range, you know, charged with offense that has a range of a punishment. What benefit do you get if you admit to plead guilty, but you're still get all of that risk? Because it's a benefit to both parties. So both parties are giving something up. Both parties are getting something. You know, we like to say if both parties walk away a little bit unsatisfied, then it was probably a, a proper negotiation. Are plea deals offered in all criminal cases? Um, not all of them, although they are offered in the vast majority of criminal cases. Um, even on murder cases, you will usually, there will usually be some sort of plea offer at some point. Obviously, murder cases get negotiated by plea agreement much less often than lower level cases. Um, but in almost every case, there's going to be some sort of plea offer. And that even includes death penalty cases. Sometimes the state will charge the defendant with a crime and seek the death penalty, but then offer a uh, a term of life without parole um, in in return for his guilty plea. So, or her, I guess I should say, there are women who can commit capital murder, but there is no right to a plea offer. So the state does not have to make a plea offer. They do not have to resolve a case by plea agreement. They can choose to take any case they want to trial unless the defendant decides to just admit guilt without a trial. You're kind of answering my next two questions, and that was, are prosecutors required to offer plea deals? And from my understanding is that they're not. No, they're not required to, but like Jake alluded to and like I mentioned, you know, if you, let's say you 
the state's got you over a barrel. You've got a confession. You've got you've got strong evidence. You don't want to go to trial, um, but you cannot work out an agreement with the state. You can plead open to the court, um, and the benefit you get there is taking responsibility, and that's a statutory mitigator. And in, in in theory, you should be get some benefit in the sentencing. Um, it's not often that that happens because prosecutors don't want to negotiate them, themselves into trial. Um, and prosecutors generally know what a case is worth in front of a particular judge, so they don't. So they're trying to make an offer to the defense that is as close to what they think they'd get out of the judge as they can push the defense to, uh, you know, assuming they both agree that there would be a conviction. Now, from your experience, both on the criminal defense side and the prosecution side, do you think that most criminal cases are resolved through a plea deal or do most go to trial? Uh, Most do not go to trial. Um, I would say, yeah, a a majority of the criminal cases that are filed are resolved by some kind of agreement, although it it varies quite a bit depending on the type of case. Um, for example, murders and serious sex crimes like child molesting and rape are not often resolved by a plea agreement. Um, those cases probably more like, well, with murders, it's certainly, I think it's less than 50-50. Um, and with sex crimes cases, it's probably more like around 50-50 where they get resolved by a plea agreement. A lot of people don't want to admit to a sex crime um, because it carries, obviously, a pretty significant social stigma, especially child molesting. Um, and... A lot of people won't plead guilty to murder just because it carries such a long sentence that, you know, it doesn't really seem like there's actually much of a benefit. Um, But lower level cases um, often get resolved by plea agreement um, a vast, vast majority of the time. Um, Domestic violence, though, on the other hand, those types of cases are resolved by plea agreements much less often because... The state has difficulty a lot of times obtaining convictions on those cases. Um, and so because of that, those don't get resolved by plea agreement because most you know, most of them are going to get dismissed. Um, that's not a commentary on the rightness or wrongness of the system or of the people who are involved in it or the people who choose not to participate in it. Um, it's just unfortunately a, uh, a simple fact of, of the system that we that we work in. How soon after charges are filed are plea deals typically offered? Well, I mean, technically, I mean, the state could hand a defendant a plea offer with the charging information. Um, They could make one as late as the morning of trial. Um, So, I mean, it's any time. The question, at least from my perspective, I'm not ready to assess a plea offer until I've at least looked at initial discovery if not all the discovery um so you know what the the state generally has already looked at that stuff uh oftentimes you know by the time they're charging or they see those items before the defense does um so anytime i mean again like like a lot it's it's just flexible um there's not a hard deadline yeah remember when we were talking i think 
in the previous two episodes about how these sort of things can kind of all overlap a little bit. Well, we haven't even talked about trials yet, but um, plea agreements can be offered even during the trial and even after the trial is over and the jury is deliberating. Um, There is an old story from Criminal Courtroom 5 that I've heard a few times when I was a prosecutor where a, a, a case went to trial. I think it was a, I don't remember how long the trial was, but um, the prosecution started getting a little bit of uh, concern based on the questions that the jury was asking during deliberations, and they made the defendant a plea offer. And the defendant decided he wanted to accept the plea offer while the jury was still negotiating. So they did the, the paperwork, they got it turned in, and as they were turning in the paperwork, the jury announced that they had a verdict. And so the, the judge literally has a, a folded up piece of paper with the verdict on it that no one has looked at except for the jurors and a signed plea agreement from the defendant <laughs> that the jurors don't know about, obviously. And he finally just has to turn and look at the defendant and say, which one of these do you want? Wow, door <laughs> do you, one or door two. Right. Do you want the plea agreement that you've signed or do you want to find out what this verdict is? <laughs> and he decided he wanted the plea agreement. And um, so they did the plea agreement. They did all of that before anyone looked at the jury verdict. <laughs> did they find out what the jury verdict was? And it was not guilty. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. Wow. (laughs) But you can't, I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. Um, And it's one of those things as a, as a prosecutor, I mean, I remember getting jury verdicts and I mean, more than once hearing that a defendant's like, Hey, can I get that plea now? And it's not, I mean, this is a one step at a time and you know, you may be at this step and have to make a decision. It doesn't matter what the next step, like you only get this much information when you make this decision. And that didn't include the jury verdict. That uh, too bad for him but i mean did that mean that the jury got it wrong i i have no idea only he knows yeah (laughs) are plea deals ever taken off the table uh yes most plea agreements that i've seen have standard terms that allow for withdrawal of the plea agreement if between the time of it being like signed and like actually entered with the court for instance somebody gets a new case uh, you know, some serious conviction from another jurisdiction. Um, mostly, so they, they can be withdrawn. Uh, the defendant can withdraw it as well under certain circumstances. Right, but only only up until the point where the judge accepts it, enters judgment of conviction and sentences. Usually, after that, it's everyone is stuck with it, whether they like it or not. Um. There are some exceptions if the defendant, for example, was very poorly advised by his attorney about something. Um, and we've seen PCRs, post-conviction relief petitions, where um, a, a defendant got really bad advice from their attorney, and as a result, their conviction was overturned. But usually, once uh, once you get it in front of the judge and the judge goes through all of it with you and you agree to it, you're kind of stuck with it. Well, the trouble that people have is, okay, so you've got this document. If you've ever seen it, it's got a bunch of initial places to initial and a place to sign. And you review that with your attorney. Then you go in court. Not, like every judge I've ever been in front of me, seen this document before? You sign this? Did you talk to your lawyer about it? 
You sign this and mean you understand it. And you're supposed to be saying yes, yes, yes. Well, even if you say all yes, the judge reviews it with you again on the record. And all of that is to protect the record. So you get people come back and say, well, I didn't really understand or it isn't really what, what we want. Well, the system has already set you up for that to fail because you've already went under oath and said, I talked to my attorney. They answered all my questions. Yes, judge, I want this. Yes, you've answered all my questions. Um, so plea agreements are contracts and the system knows how to write a tight contract most of the time. Yeah, the, the system is designed to prevent people from sort of doing the, the buyer's remorse routine years later after they real after they realized that like I mean I don't know I, I couldn't speak for any particular client I'm certainly not talking about any particular client but you sign it for 10 years because you're looking at 50 and these are just numbers I'm making up this is not anything but you know you sign up for 10 years because you're looking at 50 and it sounds like the right thing to do because 10 is way lower than 50 and then you get five years into it and you're like fuck, 10 years is forever. (laughs) (laughs) Led me out of prison. I thought this was going to go by faster than this. Um, Because 10 years is a long ass time to spend in prison. Um, And so, you know, sometimes you see buyer's remorse, people trying to get out of those agreements afterward. Um, And it's real tempting, especially because five years later, it's a lot harder for the state to put their case back together. So if you can get your conviction overturned, they're going to have a hard time proving it, you know, going back and trying you again. So those are, I think, the factors that push it in that direction. But the system is designed to head head that off at the pass, I think. So does accepting a plea deal mean that you're admitting guilt? In the state of Indiana, you have to admit guilt to the crime you're pleading to. We don't have no contest pleas. Uh, You may have the term Alford plea. Uh, They're the same thing. You can't sit there. You cannot say, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, the state can prove, I didn't do it, but the state can prove it or, you know, they can prove it and I'm standing without saying anything. Indiana doesn't have that. In the state of Indiana, you have to admit that you did what they said you did. And if, if you tell your, you know, if you tell the court that they are supposed to reject the plea. Is there a such thing as a set term plea? And what is that if there is? Yeah, it, it's pretty common. Um, there's sort of a, there, there's what we call a set term plea. And then there's what we call an open plea. Um, a, so to, to understand the difference, you kind of have to understand how sentences work. Um, so for a level five felony, for example, the penalty range is two to six years. Um, sometimes with a plea agreement, you agree to plead guilty in return for just changing the range, right? So instead of looking at two to six, the parties agree that the court can't give him, it has to give him between zero and four, um, or between two and four, whatever you like. Um, because technically the two years is suspendable, so really the minimum is zero. So you can just agree to change the range. That's called an open plea. Or you can reach a plea agreement where the defendant admits guilt and in return all the aspects of the sentence are agreed upon. So, uh, for example, in that case, we could say um, he pleads guilty to a level five felony. He gets one year in prison, one year on home det- or one year in work release, followed by one year of home detention, followed by one year of probation. So he'll get a four-year sentence, and we're splitting it up one year in each of these components. 
And in that case, it's set term because we know how long it is. We know where he's going to serve each portion of it. Um, we know what his probation terms are going to be. So in that case, Chad has done what's called a, a set term plea. What types of things are negotiated in a plea deal? The big thing, if there's executed time or not, meaning jail time, uh, home detention work release, or probation, uh, and then oftentimes terms of probation uh, or terms of community correction, uh, or potentially term, you know, classes that you might take at the DOC, um, you know, depending on, you know, if it's, there's a protective order, um, there might be community service work, there might be substance abuse evaluation and treatment, driver's license suspension, conditions of those driver's license suspensions, um, just, a, uh, just about anything now. Yeah, um, essentially you can negotiate any portion, anything that the judge has jurisdiction to include in the sentence. So if if a license suspension is statutorily authorized in this you know by the Indiana code then you you can negotiate the license suspension. I mean I have actually negotiated specific terms of probation once or twice. Um typically you got to have a really good reason to do that and it's got to be something that the prosecutor doesn't care enough about to get bent out of shape about. Um, but I have done that where I went back and say, Hey, look, we want this specific normal term of probation to not apply to my client because he doesn't have a problem, um, with this particular thing or that particular thing. And they have agreed to it depending on what it is, um, sometimes, but that's very rare. Um, but yeah, it's, it's anything the judge could do to you at sentencing is what you can negotiate. Can you negotiate a felony charge being lesson to a misdemeanor charge? Certainly. Um, this is part of what the discovery process is for. You know, the, the we've talked about a probable cause affidavit, and that's a preview of what the evidence is. That's what the police officer thinks this case is about, essentially. Well, when the lawyers get going into the discovery process, you start interviewing witnesses and start seeing what it is. Certainly, maybe there's not legal basis for the state to even pursue that anymore. Maybe it's too risky Um to risk a felony and, you know, a misdemeanor is a way for them to secure some kind of conviction out of it. Or maybe they just think that's the appropriate charge. Um, sometimes you get into the discovery and the state will dismiss. Um, you know, if the police got the witness statement wrong or made another error. Is a plea deal the same as a conviction? In Indiana, yes. Now, there might be just, well, you know what, even in Indiana, not necessarily. Um, almost always. They do have occasionally what's called a deferred um, conviction, uh, deferred judgment, where they put you on probation or some similar sort of program, and if you successfully complete it, they they, they just dismiss your case. But if you fail to complete that for any reason, then they just go forward with the plea that they've done and enter judgment of conviction against you. So that happens. It doesn't happen very often, especially not anymore. Um, there used to be a court in Marion County that, that would do those on a somewhat regular basis, but that court closed and got turned into a, a regular old misdemeanor court downtown in the city county building. So um, shout out to community court. But um, that doesn't happen very often, but in, in theory, you can plead guilty and then not get convicted. 
the vast majority of plea agreements in Indiana result in convictions. Um, I, I can't even think of a court that still does deferred judgments. When they do them, they're, t- agree- they're not titled plea agreement. They're called a deferral agreement when I've seen them as well. So, Yeah, back in community, community court, the ones they did actually said, like you had to do a factual basis and then the judge would withhold entering judgment of conviction. So it was, I mean, a, a full-on plea agreement. But So it sounds like that's like what our diversions are now, except the court would just hold on to it and monitor it till the end of the period. Right. And the difference was that you couldn't go to trial after a deferred entry. Because you'd already made an admission. Because you'd already pled. So if you mess up your program, they just sentence you. Um, in fact, you know, the one I'm thinking of, they still do it in, in veterans court in Marion County. They do, they do, uh, you have to plead guilty to the crime. And if you fail out of the veterans court system, they just sentence you. Um, the diversion, which is a different sort of way to resolve a case and something we haven't talked about yet. Um, in that you don't plead guilty. You just agree to do some stuff. And if you do it, they dismiss your case. Um, which is probably sounds no different than the thing I already described. And it, it is a very fine difference, but the big question is just whether you retain your right to a trial or not. Um, technically on a regular old misdemeanor diversion where you agree to do some stuff and they agree to dismiss it. If you do those things, if you come back later, having not done it, you still have the right to a trial. Um, and so that's the small difference is what happens if you fail those two different programs. One of them, you just get sentenced and the other one, you have a trial. Is it the prosecutor that always initiates the plea deal or is it, is it ever the defense attorney that might initiate it? Well, I mean, the defense can, uh, I think Jake and I both agree that it's a stronger position to make the other person make an offer first. But again, I mean, when you're, it's there's an art to it. There's not there's not a fine line. There's no here's how you negotiate step one, step two, step three, um, and with hard recommendations. Um, you know, every case is different. You're negotiating the facts, the law, with the other person because you may negotiate differently with a different person. Um, some prosecutors are nicer than others. Uh, some are more receptive to certain arguments than others. Are plea deals public record? Yes, um, that is a, it's a pleading that is filed in court. I don't, well, no, it, it doesn't have to be. I have seen, there is a court that doesn't do written plea agreements. Um, but it's on the record one way or another, um, either announced in open court or in writing and filed with the court. And those proceedings are open to the public. So any person who wants to get information about the proceeding can do so by contacting the clerk in that county. Um, so they are always on the record in some way. Yeah. What happens if you don't take a plea deal? Ultimately doesn't change your position. You're charged with a crime. You can admit or you can go to trial. Yeah. Or you can wait and see if they dismiss it. Yeah. Um, so you don't like the plea. I mean, you're, you're still in the same position. You can admit or go to trial. You just didn't, you just failed to work out a satisfactory agreement regarding that admission. Yeah. Sometimes I compare it to, um, buying a car. 
um, obviously there are ways in which it's much different than buying a car, right? Because you never end up in prison (laughs) at the end of your, your car negotiation. But when they make you an offer, when the state makes an offer, you always have the same three options. And it's the same three options you have when you're, when you're buying a car, you can accept the offer that they've made, in which case you are either resolving your case or buying a car, depending on which of these things you're doing. Um, you can reject their offer. Um, in the car example, then you are not buying a car. Um, in the court example, you're then either going to trial or the state ends up dismissing it if their case falls apart. Or you can make a counter offer. In Obviously, in the car version of this explanation, you're you're coming back with different numbers or a different warranty or I don't know what. I, I don't remember. Uh, it's been a long time since I bought a car. In the, in the criminal version of it, you're proposing different um, versions, uh, different terms for the agreement, whether that's either changing the range to something more agreeable to you or changing a specific term that they've provo- proposed if it's a set term plea agreement. Um, so those are always your, your options with their offer. It's always the same. So we are now going to interrupt this episode to bring you the latest Florida Man news. Now, our first two stories out of Florida are updates to stories we talked about in previous episodes. Okay. Do you remember Florida Kangaroo? I definitely remember Florida Kangaroo. I am thinking about Florida Kangaroo every day. Well, there's an update to his story. Um, Local 10 reports. My fingers are crossed. (laughs) Local 10 reports that it was literally kangaroo court this last Wednesday when, <laughs> when Florida man entered a plea of not guilty in connection with his misdemeanor charges oh, that he's, he's facing for housing. He's going kangaroo. to trial. <laughs> <laughs> so kangaroo, Florida kangaroo has a name. His name is Jack Jack. Jack Jack. Jack Jack. Did our four-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old daughter name her? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite possible. So a new development, um, I just came across how long it took the Florida police to corral kangaroo, Florida kangaroo. It was an hour and a half, and they managed to put a rope around his neck to put him in the car. I am still confused about the decision to put a wild animal in the, the cab of a car. Yeah, that was poor. That was a poor choice. Yeah, and the day after, um, Jack Jack's... Well, they say rescue, I would say apprehension. <laughs> right. um, Florida Man organized a fundraiser, free Jack-Jack on GoFundMe, uh-huh. um, in hopes to raise $25,000 <laughs> so he can move to an area that it's zoned properly and he can have its kangaroo. <laughs> Give me money or I'll break the law again. Brought to you by Florida Man. So should I just find out what cute animal demands to be resided in wherever it is I want to move? And then, I mean, because this isn't for free jack-jack. This is to get Florida Man a new home. Right. right. That's, a, that's a dick move, Florida Man. <laughs> like... Stop stop pimping out jack-jack for your own financial gain, bro. That's not cool. I'm, on, I'm team jack-jack all the way on this. Well, uh, Florida man's not having much uh, luck with his GoFundMe, Good. with his free Jack Jack, with his twenty five thousand dollar goal. Uh-huh. Last checked, he raised eight hundred and five dollars. Damn, that's still too much. <laughs> that is too much. Yeah. So moving on to our next story update, do you remember um, 
the miracle COVID cure that was being sold by that oh, church down in Florida. Guys. Yeah. QAnon, yes. I'm I'm scared to even talk about this again because those guys can can really like. There's a lot of them. Well, Forbes reports that Florida man, the Florida man and his sons that sold the toxic miracle COVID nineteen cure, has been arrested in Colombia. So he he went to Colombia with just one of his three sons, and uh-huh. they were selling the miracle cure there out of Colombia and shipping it to the United States and to Africa. But Colombia authorities arrested them on Tuesday, and they are set to be extradited back to the United States. Why are they being extradited back to the—have they been charged in the United States? Yes. Remember, they failed to appear for court. Well, that was just like the FTC or something. Oh, that wait, was just yeah, like yeah, civil. it was a civil thing, so yeah. I shouldn't go to... Well, in July, it says the four, because a Florida man and his three sons were federally charged with conspiracy to defraud the U.S., uh, conspiracy to defraud the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, cool. and criminal contempt. Cool. Remember when I told you they were going to jail? They're going. They're in. It's almost like I knew. It's almost like I know what I'm talking about sometimes. It's weird. <laughs> Well, at first I thought it was like, how bad has it gotten if you have to run a rye of Columbia's <laughs> criminal justice system? That's my first thought. Columbia's like, six six bricks of cocaine is legal, but you keep that miracle mineral cure shit the hell out of here, Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no bleach, please. Oh, that's just, it's so not, I don't, like I said, I... I don't really. I'm glad we are talking about it again, but I'm. I also don't want to because I don't want to get like seven billion negative Google reviews or something from the far, far right. Right yeah. from the QAnon army. I'm gonna want um, you to cut that. Don't give these people any ideas. <laughs> they already had the idea. <laughs> um, but geez, like, it just stop, guys. Figure out some other. Like the rumor is that that guy is Q. Like he is the original Pizzagate, QAnon, child uh, molester ring. That whole thing started with him. The rumor is that's not confirmed. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get sued for slander. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just. Um, I'll do a Donald Trump. People are saying. People are saying that that's uh that that's Q. People are saying it. Not me. People. <laughs> Smart people. Smart people. Lots people, of people. Very, very smart people that the I... The best people. That I respect. <laughs> <laughs> are saying that. <laughs> okay, it's me. Because <laughs> I don't respect anybody but myself. No, that's what Trump would say. I I don't know if he's Q or not. He, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there'll be another update down the road. We'll see. So the next Florida probably, story... Probably not. <laughs> Well, I, I, I defer to you on these criminal cases, so. This next story is a little disturbing to me. Oh, good. Just because I can see myself being this guy. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, that's a great lead-in. You can see yourself <laughs> being a guy. All right. <laughs> well, doing what this Florida man did. Your your man friend will really appreciate knowing that. <laughs> So this person, you see yourself in this man's disturbing behavior. I do. So I'm, okay, so we'll just jump right into it now. Yeah, let's, let's hurry. Let's, so, let's run headlong into this. 
<laughs> so Sydney Now Magazine reports that Florida Man was arrested for singing, singing a derogatory song he allegedly composed for his neighbor. Florida Man, who's 62, <laughs> was sitting out on his front porch insulting his neighbor with a musical number as he strummed his guitar. Mm-hmm. The Florida or Florida female neighbor told police that she heard Florida Man singing, mm-hmm. There is a neighbor who is a bitch. I see her now. She's a witch. And Florida woman recorded this on her cell phone, called the police, showed it to the officers, and claimed that he was harassing her and the song affected her peace and quiet. Uh, They arrested Florida man. What? Sitting on his porch singing a little tune. This is ridiculous. Karen Karen needs to go back inside, just turn up her daytime stories and stop worrying about florida man like i mean this is childish like who cares it's, right it's weird i i almost never do this but i am on florida man's side on this one it turns out that the only thing worse than florida man is florida karen florida man he originally denied the allegations against him mm. but later he said that it doesn't mean that he was singing about her <laughs> but like so i can't sit on my porch and sing a little tune uh, no, you can. Um, you just can't make in Indiana. You can. You just can't make unreasonable noise. I think Florida man was. Um, I don't think he should have been arrested here, but he was. I don't think so either. Although obviously it it depends on what the Florida statutes say, and God knows we haven't read those. We're too busy making fun <laughs> of Florida man to bother reading about his laws. I don't. I don't think I want to read any laws that a Florida man wrote. Um, in Indiana, that would almost certainly not be a crime. If you called the police for that, the police would almost certainly, um, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know exactly what the police would do. But my guess is they would probably tell you to find something better to do right? than, than call them about that, especially in Indianapolis. They'd be like, yeah, I had to take 15 minutes out of my day and cut my, uh, cut my dinner short to come over here and listen to you complain about four bars of you suck, Karen. Um, <laughs> bye. By, yeah, just by, I was going to say by Felicia, but I don't think I'm supposed to say that. (laughs) We have one last story out of Florida before we wrap it up. They never end. So the New York Times reports that Florida sheriff has ordered his deputies not to wear masks. He even barred visitors from his office. I read about that. From wearing them. Now, this is a, a unique uh, situation. Um, I think to some limited way, you know, there could be a safety concern. You're going into a place part, uh, you know, place of incarceration, making sure that you identify those people. I've gone into a courthouse and I generally have to ID, I have to ID myself and I have been asked to pull my mask down before when I'm showing that photo ID. Um, the fact that he doesn't let them put it back on or that the people who are essentially caged in there with the virus and being denied any opportunity to even try to protect themselves or others is is a problem in my mind. So the sheriff's reasoning behind this oh, this will be good. Was um, it was more about improving communication with the public in light of all the hatred towards law enforcement right now. He thought it would be better for his officers' voices not to be muffled behind a mask. Uh, 
your voices aren't really muffled very much behind a mask. Um, that's, you know, when you put forth an, uh, a justification like that, it's real. I mean, he didn't even try either. He's stupid or he really <laughs> just, I mean, he really just wants to say, fuck you guys and came up with like, well, I did this. Uh, I mean, Okay. I'll go further. Not only are we not required to wear masks, I'm banning masks. That's how much I love the freedom. Think I can't come up with a stupid explanation here? People can't hear through masks. Bam! Done! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sheriff ended his email. He sent an email to all his deputies letting them know about his no-mask policy with a strict tone of enforcement saying my orders will be followed or my actions will be swift to address. <laughs> my <laughs> orders will be followed or my actions will be swiftly addressed. What the? You, Enjoy your authority much? Well, it, you probably won't be surprised to know that um, the New York Times also reported that prior to the sheriff issuing his order, he was on the phone with uh, President Trump. So, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Oh, that's my cue. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening to Tales from the Brown Desk. Please remember, while we may discuss legal issues and provide information regarding the law to our listeners, we do not intend to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Our advice may not be applicable to some legal issues. Please consult with an attorney you've hired to review your legal situation before you attempt to apply the things we have said to your case. You can ask us a question if you like. Just email Terry at Terry, that's T-E-R-I, at RigneyLawIndy.com and entitle your email podcast question. And we'll read it on our next podcast unless we start getting too many questions and then we'll just read the good ones. But we're probably not going to get too many questions. Buzzsprout says we have 30 listeners now. That's up one from last week. Woohoo! Great job, one new listener. By the way, I think the one new listener we added lives in Israel. And I don't mean like Israel, Texas. I mean like the country on the Mediterranean, Israel. Um, I checked to see if there were any acceptable jokes I could make about Israel. The answer is no. No. There are no jokes that I can make about that. Um, so thanks for listening, person in Israel. That's not a joke. The attorneys at Rigney Law also do not comment on their current pending cases. Nothing we've said in this podcast is a comment on a case we are currently working on, even if your name is Chad, even if you're a kangaroo, even if you're in a cage in Florida right now. I love you, Jack-Jack. I miss you. I'm rooting for you, bro. Zegazunt, everybody.